You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us this morning um, on this cold winter day where I am. Uh, maybe not so much for everybody else on the call but, or uh, on the air, but nonetheless, thanks for uh, being part of the show. Um, my guest today is Joseph Kursky. I hope I'm pronouncing Kursky correctly, Joe. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, we were connected through our friend Gavin Schrock, who's a, uh, a great person for us to, to have on our list because he finds such interesting guests for us. Um, I'm going to let Joseph tell you about himself as we go through, but basically he works with ESRI and um, is busy all the time from what I can tell, <laughs> Joseph, in looking at uh, all your publications and your your. Uh, educational efforts around the world and related to uh, something that's uh, known as a coordinated campus as well as GIS information overall. So if you would uh, share with our audience uh, a bit about your background. We can get them on. Oh, thanks, Kurt. Thanks for having me on today. Really appreciate it. Uh, And hello to all your listeners. I have had the uh, very good journey um, uh, so far in the world of geospatial science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, geography, having touched on four major segments of of society. Nonprofit, so I was president of National Council for Geographic Education, for example, and very active in the nonprofit uh, education world. And then also with government agencies, so I spent uh, a lot of years at NOAA, Census Bureau as a geographer and USGS as a geographer in the National Mapping Program. Also uh, in academia, so I teach at a variety of different uh, universities, uh, online courses and face-to-face courses and workshops. Visited over 30 universities last year. Um, And finally in the private sector. So for the past 13 years now, I've been at ESRI at the Education Outreach Team, which is focused on broader and deeper implementation of GIS throughout education, primary, secondary, university, libraries, museums, community colleges, technical colleges, etc. So uh, I've been privileged to have, you know, touched on four major segments of society. Really glad to be here today. Yeah, that's a pretty broad uh, base there. <laughs> Most of us kind of get bogged down in one of those or the other. So to, to have somebody with that kind of experience uh, across the board, and uh, in particular, I think just how how broad that is when you talk about the nonprofit side and then the agency side and um, and then, of course, academia and the private sector, that's, that's would seem to me to be a, a big task to try to keep up with where all the players are in those different arenas and how they're impacted. And it must be interesting and challenging to see how they actually fit together and and coordinate. Well, indeed. I think this is actually the most exciting time for your listeners, me, you, others, to be in the world of surveying, mapping, geospatial technology. This is truly an exciting time uh, for a variety of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's exciting and challenging, and um, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes frightening. Actually, if you think about it, and and I say that because over time we all sort of get involved in our our different aspects or our, our niche, if you will. And so when things happen, as this whole geospatial arena has has 
blown up, so to speak, over the last several years. Um, I think sometimes it can even be a little uncomfortable trying to figure out how how do I fit into this? How do I make sure that I understand the pieces of it that I'm responsible for? And, and I'm thinking about that from the from the surveyor perspective because that's the the community that, that I live in. And I think it's been, and I won't say particularly challenging for us, but it's certainly been uh, challenging in the sense that we've a lot of the norms that we've known through our lives and the way things have done, the way things have worked. Uh, are changing, and adapting to that sometimes I think is is a challenge and, and somewhat frightening. And maybe that's true in every sector. I don't know because I'm not in the other sectors. But you may know more about that than would I. Well, Kurt, I I think about at some point in the not too distant past where it was quite possible to know the bulk of surveying, mapping, GIS. Um, for any one person. They could have a, with some dedicated effort, know most of the data, the the methods, the tools to actually be successful in this industry. Now, um, you're touching on, I think, the challenging uh, adjective that you used. It is really impossible for one person to have a grasp of all of it. We may um, have a good overall view of this industry and be able to, as you're also touching on, have our own sort of niche areas where we focus and specialize. However, uh, it all is ultimately a good thing because we, we need each other, we need the community, and no one person is going to have a grasp of everything, which is actually exciting. It shows how the fields have expanded, and uh, it, they need to. They need to expand because as you well know, and as your listeners well know, we've got some very serious problems uh, local to global on our planet, right? And we we have to grapple with those things, urban sprawl and water pollution and, and energy, water, uh, soil, uh, ecoregions, uh, natural hazards. I mean, you name it. We've got lots of pressing issues that we need to tackle and, and solve. And so, the field needs to expand, the tools need to expand, the data sets need to expand, the perspectives need to expand to be able to solve those pressing issues. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and I think, um, it, again, it can be challenging just because uh, I know in our, in our profession, sometimes, sometimes we're almost uh, introverts, it seems. Uh, you know, I've had surveyors tell me over time, well, just give me some data and lock me in a room and I'm good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that kind of perspective, I think you and I have something in common that maybe is helpful in terms of that overall outreach to every element of, of the spectrum and talk to people. Um, I, in reading what, what was on your website about your relationship with your dad and, and faith and that kind of thing, that, that was very touching to me, quite honestly, because I, my father was a minister. And uh, ah, so, cool. so, so, what you had to say resonated really well with me as, as I was reading it, and thinking about the lessons that you obviously learned and the guidance you learned, and, and as did I, in terms of um, this whole idea of interacting with people and sharing and working together and those kind of things, which is so important in this arena. Um, I know it's been a big help to me. I assume it has been to you as well. 
Oh, absolutely, sir. And I'll just share two things uh, related to what you're saying right now, and that is, uh, number one, I actually had a, a very interesting, uh, unique sort of a childhood uh, in that uh, I actually grew up in a motel. Now, some of your listeners have probably been to motels, hotels, where you can actually determine that the people running it actually live there. You know, there's a small apartment off of the office. And uh, that was the kind of place that uh, my family actually ran. Um, in addition, my mom was a school teacher. Um, and so it, it was a, you know, instead of a lawn, uh, and I had a parking lot, you know, for my, my growing up experience. And, uh, but it was really great because Kurt, I, I met people from all over the world that would stay there. And some of them would return every summer. This was in western Colorado, so, you know, sort of a touristy sort of a place. And um, it was fascinating, you know, to be able to talk with them and, and there's a whole diversity of people that would come by, obviously. And so that was, um, I think, instilled in me the love of travel, the love of meeting people, working with people, um, you know, respecting people from all over the world, and uh, also learning from people, listening to their stories, and, you know, including a lot of truck drivers. So very cool. Um, and another thing that uh, I, I wanted to mention, uh, touching on what you're saying, is that I've never actually met um, anyone in this in these fields that were they're intersecting, you know, surveying, mapping, GIS, geospatial, geomatics, what, you know, that that you know, that those fields that is anti-sharing. Like, oh, I'm not going to share my my ideas with you or my methods or the data sets that I used with you. On the contrary, everybody is extremely open to, hey. Rising tide floats all boats. So let's all learn together. And so, you know, I think that as the years go by, you know, we might not remember the specific projects or the data sets that we were working on or the, even the, the tools that we were using, but we're going to remember those relationships with people. And I think that's one of the really fascinating things about this field is that the people in it are extremely open to let's work together and solve these problems. And if I've got a data set that you might be able to use, I'll share it with you, or my methods, or et cetera. So I just wanted to share those two things to touch on what you were saying. I completely agree with you. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that whole concept of the, the sharing and people wanting to work together. And um, I, I think maybe part of it is the people who are in the professions that we're talking about here are typically pretty inquisitive about things. And so... Uh, that sometimes also then leads to, hey, let's share information because I can learn from you, you can learn from me, and we can figure out ways to make whatever we're doing collectively work for everybody. And um, and and that's really sort of the the underlying principle, I guess, of of GIS in the overall spectrum of things, uh, where you have a lot of data that a lot of people are prepared, and it can help so many people if if it's available. So. It all ties together. You know, it's it's uh, you know, in, in in my mind, it's a big church, so to speak, because that's what I you know that's the environment I grew up in. Um, I grew up along mm-hmm. a, a, where a couple of U.S. highways intersect in a little bitty small town in the mountains of Virginia. But I actually had several mm-hmm. friends who grew up in motels because mm-hmm. they, they were on those main <laughs> thoroughfares, and so some of my best friends growing up were 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 people who lived. Uh, you know, grew up in the motel that their parents ran, and so I can I can relate a little bit to what you're talking about in terms of uh, having that opportunity to meet so many cool people. But the closest I came to what you have was was working as a 
what, what they called a car hop back in the days, waiting on vehicles at a drive-in ah, restaurant. And it was cool. also also along one of those major highways. So, um, you know, people coming out of the Midwest in particular going south were almost forced to come through my hometown just because there were no interstates or anything like that. So, uh, again, you get to meet so many cool people from lots of different places. So uh, that's, that's... Yeah, and you know, Kurt, you're touching on another good thing when you said that uh, this industry and the people in it are very inquisitive, and that's, that's something that... I've got this video and a couple of uh, essays on the five most important skills that I believe are important for the geospatial community. And the, actually, the first one is be curious, be inquisitive, yep. ask questions. And, and so I, uh, it, it's, it's not their fault, but a lot of students, they come into you know, higher education, for example, and they're not used to asking questions because they're used to being you know, tested and, and yep. you've you got to memorize this and regurgitate it for the test. And that's the way we've structured our educational system, uh, unfortunately. But in I hate doing to break in, in, them, yeah. I hate to break in, Joseph, but we're at our break, believe it or not. So oh, let's gosh. go. Do, okay, we'll we'll do that and come right back. All right, but in about what two minutes? Two minutes. Okay, got it. At the highest level. Okay. Well, I'll be in touch. I hope that thing works. What should I do if it doesn't do? I think I finally got that phone to go off. I kept hearing the phone in the background because <laughs> it wouldn't go off my phone, but it's gone away now, so we shouldn't have that problem in the second segment.
worry again if we're <laughs> if we've been, yeah if we've been forgotten. Dave Kurt again. Is somebody going to bring us back on the air? that you heard the first segment of our show. It seems as though we're having some difficulties. Um, thanks to Gavin for giving us a call and letting us know what was going on. Um, so I'm not really sure what everybody heard, uh, Joseph, for our first <laughs> for our first segment. So, uh, But nonetheless, I'll introduce you again, just in case nobody heard us. Uh, Joseph Kursky is with uh, ESRI, and uh, he and I have been having a conversation uh, about something called the Coordinated co uh, Campus and the work that he does uh, around the, the world with uh, nonprofits and government agencies, academia, private sector, uh, all related to our geospatial community and how we all meld together. Uh, you know, one of the things we were talking about, Joseph, before we went to the break was that mm -hmm. um, 
this this whole inquis- inquisitive nature of the people who are in our profession. And and I guess that kind of raises the question. Yeah, I think we are inquisitive, but also sometimes I'm not sure people know how to find what they're looking for. You know, how do I find what I want, and when I find it, how do I use it? Those kind of things. I maybe you could give us some thoughts on that. Well, okay, um, that's a that's a huge question. I'll try to break <laughs> it apart into. Uh, uh, let me start with the with the data. Um, oftentimes on listservs and in social media and other places, Google groups, etc., you get these continued questions, and rightly so, about uh, how do I obtain the geospatial data for my project. This is a uh, such a big topic that uh, I actually wrote a book with a colleague about public domain data for GIS. And in it, we talk about not just where to find data, but how do I know if it's any good? How can I assess the quality of it? And this is, I believe, even more important now than when we wrote the book. And so that's why we actually have an ongoing weekly blog called Spatial Reserves, where we talk about those things. The reason why I think it's more important now than ever is because nowadays, it's so easy, actually, to obtain spatial data. Now, whether that data is of high quality or sufficient quality for your use is another question. But there's no shortage of data nowadays with the open data movement, with the citizen science network, with the sensor network, uh, the Internet of Things, all of those things coming together, open data standards, it's portal technology, etc. They've all come together to give us more data at our fingertips than ever before. But uh, what I'm concerned about and what I want people to realize students, professionals, others, is that while it's easy to say grab data set A, data set B, and data set C and put them into my GIS, for example, um, you have to be very cautious about who created it, when was it updated, what scale was it created at, etc. So that's my one of the main focus areas of, of my career, actually, is to help people to be critical consumers of data. It's it's a great era that we're in, and I certainly don't pine for the old days when it was extremely difficult to pry loose data from agencies, private companies, uh, academia even. It was extremely difficult to do so. We're not at the point where we have all the data that we'd ever want at our fingertips, but we're certainly a lot farther along than even a year ago. So uh, that's, that's one thing, and that's one resource, not the only resource, but one resource to help people uh, find uh, their way through the data maze, if you will. Yeah, and I, I think that's you're absolutely right about the critical importance of, of knowing what the data is and how you can use it and what its applications are. And, and, I, and I guess probably among the most important things that you just mentioned was um, how, how, how new is it, how, much, how updated is it. And, uh, again, sometimes I think, we get in the mindset that, well, this data's here and it's good. It's, you know, again, going back to the serving analogy, if I'm going to go look up a deed on a piece of property, mm-hmm. uh, that deed's good forever as long as nothing has happened to the property. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. but, but it's so easy to get in that mindset that, okay, I've gathered this data so I can just go ahead and use it. And I know that application of that goes way beyond just what surveyors do. Um, and, and Maybe perhaps we may even be more cautious than a lot of other folks who, who, because at least I think we have some understanding of, of the nature of data and how things change so quickly uh, just in the work mm-hmm. that we do. So Indeed. I can certainly see that. And, and 
um, I don't know, I guess I'm just curious, as you're talking about that, is that something that resonates with people well, or 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 is there a tendency just to say, well, I have data, that's it'll work for my application? Well, I keep coming back to this whole, these two phrases, uh, fitness for use and truth in labeling. And fitness for use, is it fit for your use? You have to be the judge of that, that the user, right? So you're... Some of your surveyors that need something at 1 to 100 scale, right, that, that is their criteria for that particular parcel, deed, piece of property, etc. For someone looking at eco-regions, right, the, uh, 1 to 100,000 might be, might be fine. I think that the danger is because we have these wonderful uh, web-based and other GIS tools at our fingertips where we can, and CAD tools, etc., where we can zoom in and zoom out. In 2D and 3D, oftentimes we get into this mode where uh, we think that the data becomes more accurate and more precise when we zoom in to a larger scale, (laughs) which you and I and your community says, well, of course that doesn't become more accurate, but the tendency, the way that people talk, it, 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 it troubles me that they think that they're looking at something at a very large scale and the data is accurate and precise as to that, to that scale. So I think there's, there's, there's some awareness of it, but we still have a ways to go. And the other one is truth in labeling. So is that data labeled, tagged, metadata um, in such a way that you're going to be able to decide whether or not it is actually fit for your use? And the, the responsibility now since everyone is a data producer these days. We are not just data consumers. Now, your surveying community has been producing data for years, for decades. But by and large, the geospatial community has traditionally been consumers of data from WHO, USGS, you know, National Geodetic Survey, etc. But now, everybody is a potential data producer because they're sharing data in platforms like ArcGIS Online, for example. So because everybody is a a potential data producer, they need to, just as they love to have metadata attached to what the data sets that they're using from others, they have a responsibility to, I believe, do the same thing that they would like to see from others, i.e., tag provide metadata, et cetera, to the data that they're sharing with others because they'd love to have it for the data sets they're using, and if they're going to produce it for others to use, they need to provide that same kind of uh, service, that same kind of metadata for others. So fitness for use and truth in labeling, uh, those concepts have been around for a while, but I think they're, again, more relevant than ever. Yeah, and I I agree with you. It makes even more sense since um, in today's world, Acquiring data seems to be getting much more simple. Is probably not right the word, but more easily accomplished. You know, we well, we, we, yeah. we talk about talk about the whole uh, uh, UAV thing. Uh, some people don't like drones or don't like the word drone, but uh, you know that's just one example, of course, of how mm-hmm. how easy it is to get information. Um, and then, like you said, what can I use it for? And uh, how do I make sure people understand, even if I understand uh, as a casual user, uh, maybe I don't even understand about what truth and labeling means because you may not understand that it makes a difference. Um, so that, that seems like one really big challenge to me. Um, 
in terms of helping people understand that. Um, and, and if I'm understanding you correctly, that's that's part of within your mission uh, as you work with people all over the world, literally, uh, to help them mm-hmm. understand those principles. And maybe they are the most two uh, important principles that you're that you're conveying. Well, you're touching on uh, something uh, important that's related also, and um, that is the the types of data that we have at our fingertips are have never been more varied. So you mentioned uh, the UAV drone data, sure. Also LIDAR, also BIM data, right, building information management systems. The, the merging of GIS and the mapping of interior spaces um, has has it, it's just starting to to blossom and it's been a long time coming and so I'm very happy to see that we've done a good job of mapping outdoor spaces for years but not interior spaces so that is going to be and which is actually where we spend most of our time is actually inside so that's going to be a part of this whole big data movement but then also the ways that we get data have changed right from physical media to 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 the web to to downloading things uh, without any sort of physical media like a dvd or something like that and one of the things that i'm helping i'm trying to help people to wrap their minds around is that the traditional way of accessing and then making decisions based on data after you've run your analysis on it is changing there's still a lot of, and there needs to be, downloading, processing, analyzing, producing your results, making a decision. There's still that workflow, if you will. But there's also an increasingly viable alternative, which is I've got um, a piece of land that I'm studying, and I don't have to do the traditional thing anymore of downloading the digital elevation model, creating my slope map, creating my aspect and other derivative products, shaded relief, et cetera, and putting my own data on top of it and then analyzing it. Those, those processes, uh, you know, they, they, they did take a while. Now, increasingly, you can do, in this particular example, there's an elevation service. So the whole idea of data as a service there's an elevation service out there. There's a slope service. There's an aspect service. You don't have to down- download individual pieces of, of land for your study area and to your own device and then do your processing. Why not take advantage of the fact that these data services are out there and that actually frees you up to spend more time, more of your precious project time on the analysis piece. So that 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 part right there is okay, you've got to have some decent bandwidth. And I've taught, and I'm sure many of your users are working in areas where you don't actually have decent bandwidth. And so this whole idea of streaming your data from a service is simply not viable in many areas of the, of the world. I, I get that. But it is something that uh, is, you know, is started. It's, it's going to be increasingly viable. And so it's a, it's a different kind of workflow, which is actually really good news for the community, I think. And so does that data, is it, how um, broad is that in terms of, and, and again, thinking from a surveyor's perspective, you know, we we deal not primarily necessarily, but certainly to a large degree, we deal in the location of things as they are tied to some specific boundary, you know, whether it's a boundary of somebody's lot their house sits on or if it's in a, um, 
a city or, or whatever, everything's tied to where it fits in a very accurate way, not just a precisely measured way, uh, to to some boundary. Again, that may be a property boundary, mm-hmm. it may be a street, it may be whatever. Um, so uh, surveyors are always cognizant of and concerned about, I guess, that that whole concept of the, the value of data and the for lack of a better term, correctness of data. Um, are are you do you think that we're getting to the point where that type of data is uh, more available from the perspective of the types of uses that that a surveyor would use, for example, to uh, define where something actually lies on the ground to a centimeter? <laughs> so. Uh, I'm just curious about that whole aspect of it. I mean, I understand that there's a lot of data out there and there's tons of uses for it. Just not sure if it fits into what the surveyor's doing specifically or how or the data surveyors are passing on to other people. Well, even a few years ago, I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great to have um, some high-resolution LIDAR data, for example, for vast swaths of the Earth's surface that we can make 2D and 3D models of? Well, it wasn't that long before that actually became viable. Um, and so that is an example of a data set that, sure, it's not available for the whole planet, um, but there are increasingly bigger swaths of the planet where you can get those kinds of high-resolution uh, point clouds to create your 2D and 3D models. There are cities and counties, uh, certainly, that, uh, are, that have data as a service. Um, we're touching on a bit of another element that you and I spoke about beforehand, which is uh, location privacy. So when we get into um, parcels and boundaries, there are increasingly those data sets available as services because in the same way that a person could go to a city or county uh, assessor or uh, land use department or something like that and get that data uh, traditionally, on some sort of physical media, or uh, for the you know 90s and then the early 2000s, and then actually downloading it. And now, as we're entering the 2020s, how do we actually serve that so we can stream it? So those those are starting to come online. Um, it comes down to the fitness for use thing too, though, and that is many of the needs, obviously, of your community are going to be extremely fine detail high accuracy, high precision requirements, high resolution, um, curated, updated, where you've got the lineage trace so I can actually go back 10 years and see what that boundary was then. You know, that's going to be a while. But every time I've thought in the past, you know, it's going to be a while. Kurt, I remember back in, oh gosh, 1990, I was at the USGS and... um, I was using a big GPS unit that fit into the back of a utility van. And it was a big leap forward from the, uh, the, the, the traditional surveying methods that we had been using up to that point. And I thought, gosh, this thing is in the back of the utility van. It's really big and clunky, but what a big leap forward. Wouldn't it be great if someday I could actually hold one of these in my hand? Oh, that's going to be years, I said to myself. Well, it was about three years later, would have been right around 1993 or so, I actually held a, you know, a recreational gray GPS uh, in my hand. So the point is, is that we may think now that it's going to be a long time before these kinds of data sets are available as data as a service, but I think it'll be actually a shorter time period than what we're thinking because cities and counties are 
you know, they and others, they are increasingly uh, being held accountable to their constituents, and you need to serve the data up in the most efficient way possible, and that does not mean having these vast storehouses of data that we can actually download, but we actually want it to be as, as services, and we don't want it necessarily on physical media. So, um, you know, I think that in, com- in combination with the big data movement, the Internet of Things, the, uh, the accountability principle that people are increasingly wanting for their, you know, they're paying money into oftentimes their, their government agencies to serve up data. Uh, the, the, it's a very interesting world, and I think we're, we're going to get there. Um, it, we're never going to be at the point, though, because the, the level of expectation always exceeds the reality, right? So, I mean, think of your, your smartphone. I mean, it's amazing what you've got on there. But you think, gosh, why can't I do this? <laughs> so the expectations are always ahead of the technology. So uh, no matter how much we advance, people are going to buy, want, well, I want, I want five centimeter instead of 15 centimeter. <laughs> so we're never going to get to the point where we got everything available at our fingertips but it's going to be a pretty rapid when we think we've had big data here in this decade just wait till next decade right we're going to have sensors all over every single vehicle we're going to have uh, webcams with all kinds of sensors we're going to have it's just going to be mind-boggling and then dealing with all that data that's going to be where the professional community needs to step up and, and and help educate people as to how how can you use data in a in a critical way as you were talking about all that, the thought came to me that I'm, I'm at the stage in my life where my grandparents must have been, when I was a young person, uh, uh, people who came along in the late part of the last century or the early part of this century, um, and then all of the things that happened through their lives, and, and then certainly at my parents' ages, my grandparents to some degree, and now I have grandchildren. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm I'm the one who's sitting back thinking, wow, this is going way too fast for me, <laughs> you know, because just just because of the nature of how we how we learned and what we learned, and just trying to keep up with everything that's going, and and uh, you know, I was uh, one of the things that always sticks out in my mind was the first time I watched my grandchildren sit on both ends of a sofa and communicate with each other with their cell phones. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think the world's headed in that direction. And, and I know you talk uh, a lot about education at, at all different levels. And um, I, I'm hoping that this whole concept of geospatial education uh, is becoming important in our educational systems so that people do have those under, the understanding of data and where it comes from and how you can use it and uh, all the other things that you've been talking about. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you can chat about that a little bit in terms of of that education. Oh, yes, sir. Thanks. Um, I'm very passionate about yeah, geospatial education, and one of the things that's been a, a true pleasure over the last six months ago or so has been to work with uh, Gavin and his team there at XYHT Magazine. So uh, one of the things that we talked about in that column that I'm writing about education is where do we need to go as a geospatial professional community? Why are we all actually responsible for geospatial education, even if our job is not directly tied to education? And then a little bit about what progress has been made and what challenges still exist. So 
one of my columns for XYHT was about GIS in primary and secondary education, which came out a couple months ago. And actually, there's a, a lot of um, elements of, of infringement there. Uh, globally, there are many schools, after-school programs, clubs for age, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, etc., that have embraced geospatial technology. And it takes a wide variety of forms. Educators go out with their students. They collect data on every tree on campus, map that, for example, in Survey123, make a data layer out of it, look at the patterns, or it may be litter, or it may be dangerous intersections in their community, or it may be graffiti, or whatever else they're concerned with, water quality, weather, etc. They're mapping their local community and getting involved. They're also doing things like they're teaching traditional subjects uh, and themes such as natural hazards, uh, climate, energy, population change, etc., from local to global scale with these geospatial tools. So that's actually good. The challenge in primary and secondary is still things like, you know, we're trying to show educators and their students that you can actually teach and learn with these wonderful tools and data sets that are fin- at your fingertips, and it doesn't replace what you're doing, what you've, what you've done. You want to teach about climate and energy and water and so on. Those are all good things, but you don't have to use your old textbook with this teeny tiny map of ocean currents anymore. No, <laughs> you can use an interactive live web map of ocean currents and actually what the uh, salinity is and what the dissolved oxygen is and what the temperature is of, of the columns in the ocean, for example, with the um, uh, ecological marine units layer that we published about a year ago. So th- that's the idea. The challenge, though, is how do I, how do I teach with this? And then another challenge is we're still, many educational systems around the world, they're tied to the content standards through standardized testing. So this is, when you're teaching with a problem-solving or inquiry-driven tool such as geospatial technologies, it's very difficult to assess, okay, what are my students learning and so, therefore, it's difficult to implement because if, if, the, if I can't show my administrators, right, that the students are gaining three points on this test, it's very difficult for me to actually justify using it. So those are some challenges at the primary and secondary level. But that being said, I think in large part because of the advent of the web-based tools where now you don't have to install software, you don't have to, you know, have a dedicated lab, the students can use their own device, et cetera, those things, the technological things, have rapidly um, uh, advanced, and so some of the barriers that we've had for 20 years in education, at all levels really, are, are largely falling. And they're not non-existent. There's still, there's still some challenges technologically, but um, that's the situation in primary and secondary. At the university level, there are geomatics, surveying, GIS programs at just about every university uh, around the world, most universities. Uh, all major universities. That being said, what what my team uh, is dedicated to doing is, okay, it's great that you've got GIS, remote sensing, surveying, great, in planning, um, in geography, in GI science programs, but think about using geospatial technologies in health, in business, in economics, in, in history, in, in digital humanities, in, in these emerging geo-design and uh, geo data uh, data science programs. So that's we're trying to we're trying to broaden the use of geospatial technologies and methods in higher education. 
I'm curious when you're talking about that. Um, a little sensitive to it because my son is a school teacher and he teaches uh, a, basically a, a STEM type program. Um, mm-hmm. And and of course he has challenges just getting guidance counselors to send people to his classes. <laughs> but but nonetheless, um, it 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 raises the the thought in my mind about this education is out there, but it seems as though it almost has to start from the very beginning uh, just so that students have the capability to go and find this information and, and utilize it when they get into um, middle or high school. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that getting in at those very elementary levels is, is just as important. Well, absolutely. I mean, imagine the whole geospatial industry, if uh, how it could be shaped in the future if a, if a geospatial professional, surveyor, geomatics, GIS, technician, etc., had actually been exposed and was using these tools all the way through their educational um, uh, pathway. Uh, from primary school on. I mean, imagine. <laughs> That's kind of a mind-boggling thing. And we've, we've got some examples of students that are, you know, graduated from university, and they actually were um, using this way back when they were in upper elementary. So you can see that, you know, not all of them went into GIS per se, but that's okay. They've, they've gone into biology. They've gone into mathematics. Uh, they've, they've done something that tapped into, you know, being curious about the world and mapping and analyzing it and studying it. Um, and there are a lot of good educators out there that are very passionate about what they're doing. And they're, it, but you're you're right, Kurt. The um, the idea that we are trying to share here is we can't just say here are the tools and here are the data sets. Now go forth, go forth and use them. No, the teachers are not going to do that. So uh, they're, they're busy people. They've got a lot of things that they're concerned about. And so what we're trying to do is show them here's a whole suite of pathways there's not one pathway that that is suitable for everyone and also we don't just say here are the data sets and here are the here are the tools RTIS online story maps etc to use it's okay here's some professional development for educators here's some lessons that you can use with your students here are some uh, tutorials here are some web mapping applications that you can implement in 10 minutes on Monday. You know, so providing them a whole suite of things so that they're not just – because you can't just put this stuff out there, right? You, it's, it's a variety of things that they could actually latch on to and, and use. Yeah, uh, again, as you were speaking to that, another thought came to mind, and I'm sure this is something that you, you folks deal with regularly. Obviously, it's important to begin to get this mindset and this, these capabilities into the hands of young people beginning, at, as you said, from the very beginning of their education. Um, it must be also as challenging, if not more so, uh, in part of what, what you do and what you guys are doing overall, to bring that same level of, or at least some level, of understanding and grasping all of these things to people all over the world who didn't grow up in that environment. That that is a major challenge. It is a challenge, but on the encouraging note, I find that most young folks 
they actually do want to make a difference in the world. They want to have a career rather than just a job that they're looking forward to getting off work, you know, they're watching the clock type of thing. They actually want to make a contribution. They're, they're, they're keenly aware, as really no other generation has been in the past, of these global pressing challenges that we all face and that many of these variables are going in the wrong direction. Um, and so when we say, you know, do you like to get outside? Do you like to be using some cutting-edge technology? Do you, uh, it, you know, et cetera? Do you want to make a positive contribution? Geospatial technology is a great career. Now, they don't have to, the nice thing about, I think, the modern era of geospatial is that they don't have to be a GIS technician. Indeed, GIS does not even have to be in their job title, but they become a wildlife biologist. They become a surveyor. They become a engineer. And geospatial is a tool on their tool belt that they're familiar with and they can use. And that's exciting because there's going to be more and more uh, jobs out there with that as an element. It may not be your whole job. It may not be half-time. You see what I mean? But there, it's going to be a tool that you're going to be using, just like you need to be familiar with, I don't know, statistics or how to, how to make uh, uh, graphics and infographics, you know, how to communicate. It, it's part of that whole suite of things that are going to be important. And the where question is not going to go away, right? We're always going to be concerned about where. And because of that, geospatial, uh, geomatics, et cetera, they're always going to be with us. They're not going to be, oh, that was so 20th century or that was so early 21st century, we're not concerned about that anymore. No, we're always going to be concerned about, about the where and then the whys of where. Why are things located where they are? And then also how can we plan for a more effective future, you know, smart cities and, and effective uh, sustainable growth and, and so on and so forth. That's, that is quite a challenge, I think, um, in terms of implementation. And, and I guess there must also be a challenge in just getting people to understand where this is all going. You know, it's so easy to think about this is my world that I live in um, mm-hmm. and, and not so much about, okay, where is this headed down the road and, and what's the importance of of all of that, and, and and I'm sure you probably see that in your in your work as well. Um, one of the things you mentioned, we've got a few minutes left here. You mentioned, and and I don't think you've covered these necessarily. You talk about the five forces, five trends, and five GIS skills that are important. Do we have time to chat about that for a few minutes? Yeah, I'll be ever so brief. Um, but we touched on them actually already. Uh, the five forces, at least some of them. But I, I just submit that there are five forces that are acting to bring this to a really key time in the geomatics, geospatial surveying world. And those are citizen science. We've, we've mentioned that briefly. Uh, having citizens actually collecting data that is actually valued and used and, and is uh, of good quality. Uh, storytelling with maps. Now, maps have always been used to tell stories uh, for thousands of years. But now we've got multimedia, interactive mapping capabilities that anyone can actually use to communicate the results of their project, their research, their day-to-day work, um, etc. So storytelling with maps. Geo-awareness is what I call uh, the third one, and that is, I touched on it a moment ago, it's the increasing awareness that we've got some very vexing, complex problems that we need to, we need to deal with. Geotechnologies, 
the evolution of those, advent to the web, data software as a service, data as a service, et cetera. And finally, geo-enablement. By that, I mean people are enabled to use these tools as never before. Um, everybody's using satellite images to find the location of the nearest coffee shop, right? I mean, even that alone, years ago, hardly anybody used satellite imagery, right? Just, just geospatial professionals, remote sensing analysts. And now you've got these tools in the hands of everyone. Maybe not spatial analytical tools, but they're using something. And so those are the, those are the forces I just submit. And, and your readers, you know, your, your listeners might have uh, additional ones that they want to add to the mix. And so I'd love to have a conversation with those folks about this. Um, the, the five skills I touched on briefly earlier, that is, um, that I believe are important for geospatial professionals. First one, uh, be, be curious. Be curious about your world. That's going to make you tenacious about using t- tools, software, data. It's going to keep you moving forward. So ask good questions. Uh, the second one is what I call um, foundations of geospatial information. You know, map projections actually still matter. Datums still matter, right? <laughs> um, data quality still matters. Uh, the classification method that you're using still matters. The, the symbology you're using still matters. I mean, all those things actually still matters, even though it's really easy to make maps these days. So that would be another one that I would uh, identify. The, 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 another one is, is be a good communicator. Um, and so by that, I mean understand what tools you have. And I still use, you know, PowerPoint and, and traditional slides, but you can use story maps to communicate. You can use Prezi to communicate. You can use uh, Sway, Microsoft Sway to communicate. So there are increasing demands from people to, um, to, sh- to, to, to uh, for the geospatial professional to show what they're doing. In other words, it's all fine and good to publish your results in a professional journal that X number of people will read, but increasingly your results will be shared with more than just those readers of that journal. You see what I mean? So, I do, uh, and I hate to have to do this, but because we got you off track me off. earlier, we're, we're kind of out of time. So what I'd really like to do is maybe ex- extend our conversation and have you back with me sometime and get more deeply into the actual uh, it would be an honor, sir. I've enjoyed it, and I hope the listeners have too. Oh, I'm sure they have, and, and we'll be talking again soon. I would like to have you back. Wonderful, Kurt. Thanks again. Thanks so much, and take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.